What's what's interesting about uh, salad grains is that it they're they're fairly easy to get into. Uh, you don't need you know at, at at a smaller scale you don't need all that much to get from a, a garden stage to a stage where you can actually make an income off of them. Uh, what's also nice with salad greens is they're easy to sell. Uh, everybody eats salad. There's there's a lot of it and. Uh, because of where salad production happens, predominantly in the southwest of the United States, um, a lot of uh, salad throughout the continental U.S. and Canada uh, is several days old by the time people uh, get to eat it. And so when they when they taste your fresh salad, it actually they they can feel the difference. As my mother, uh, who lives in Vancouver, says, and she buys her salads from somewhere else. You can't just uh, taste the difference. You can actually hear the difference because it, it crunches differently. So fresh salad is easy to sell. It's fairly high value uh, compared to many things. You know, you can get even at a wholesale level, not even, never mind a, a direct to the consumer level or the person who's going to eat it. You can get $10 a pound. In the case of the, the consumer level, you can get closer to $20 a pound if you're going to be selling it to the person who eats it. That's pretty high value. It's good return. It's quick cash flow because from the time you spend the money on the seed and the labor and so on until the time you get cash uh, back from the person who buys it, it can be in under two months. And that's pretty rare for most agricultural crops, which sometimes take the full growing season. And in the case of perennials, they'll take uh, quite a bit more. And you can start small. There are, you know, thanks to some equipment innovations, uh, you can you can start uh, um, fairly easily with a few thousand, just a couple thousand dollars of investment, and out of that you can make uh, several thousand dollars a week. And uh, the crops themselves are very fast growing. Um, the it, it's the crops that I grow here. the The longest growing time is about twenty eight to thirty two days. So just around the four week mark, uh, sorry, that's the slowest growing crop. The fastest growing crop at the height of uh, growing season, which for me is right around the, the, um, the summer solstice, right around the longest day of the year when it's not, as long as it's not too hot, because uh, high temperatures do slow down plant growth. But um, if the temperatures are moderate and we've got those long days, I can be harvesting a crop in two weeks. 15 days from the time I plant it until the time I cut it and sell it. So we're talking about a really fast crop here. These are the pros of uh, growing salad, baby salad greens. What are the cons? What's not so great about it? Well, it's really intense. When you grow that fast and you want to, uh, you want to uh, get a good yield and you want to keep your uh, customers in repeat sales, um, it means very close management of your spreadsheets and your timing and so on. And so it can get intense, but intense crops are the ones that you can get the highest value per square foot of growing area. So you can get three to four to five crops per year, uh, depending on your growing season, out of the same square foot of land. So it is intense but uh, the return is there. And so if you don't have a, a large acreage and you're wanting to start small, salad greens are a, are a great option. By the way, if anybody has any questions as we go here, uh, don't hesitate to, to speak up and get some clarity on, on anything uh, that we're talking about. So what do you need to uh, do salad greens well? Well, Unfortunately, or fortunately in my case, best I know, you need a low humidity growing area. So if you find that you're in um, Kentucky or, uh, or Miami, well, actually Miami's uh, Southern Florida isn't quite as bad, but if you find that, that you're you know, greater than 80% relative humidity for much of the summer, uh, you may struggle with the growing of these crops because we're trying to grow a carpet. We, we, wanna, we want a dense crop where the plants actually um, 
push against each other. We don't want them to, to, to spread out because they have lots of room. We want them to come up against each other's leaves and touch leaves, and that pushes them to grow vertically, which means it's easier to harvest. Unfortunately, when all those leaves touch, that means you don't have a whole lot of airflow through the crop canopy, and it's very easy to, to start developing blight and other fungal diseases that will damage the crop. So that's why uh, in, in North America, the salad crops, the baby salad crops are largely grown in Southern California and Arizona because of the low humidity. There's some out, out east, but uh, those you'll notice are not certified organic. The certified organic product, which has a no antifungal uh, sprays are all grown in the West where there is low humidity. So you can do it elsewhere, but it, it, you tend to end up having to uh, increase the spacing of the crop. And that means to, to allow airflow. And um, that means your yield will go down slightly, but it's still, uh, it's still a good high yielding crop. What else do you need other than low humidity? Well, you need a rototiller to prep and turn the ground. Um, a, some, it, you, you could do it without a rototiller uh, if you were wanting to do other um, no-till type methods. I've played with no-till uh, on, the, on the salad crops, at least uh, in theory. And I think it's a neat option, um, but you still do need, initially, you're going to need some mechanism of destroying the weeds if you don't have uh, a, a garden area or a, or a field area that's, that's well prepped. You're gonna need some method of, uh, of turning the soil over and terminating uh, whatever weed seeds that, or whatever weed plants that might be there. It's really important to have a good weeder. We'll cover the types of weeders uh, later. And uh, I prefer, my preference at this point is the flame weeding. Uh, you need a seeder and um, you need a harvester. You need some bins and totes to hold your crop and to hold the wash product. You need some tubs to wash the product in. And I've got three listed there. That's because you need to go through a multi-stage wash to manage your food safety concerns. Uh, you need a means of spinning the water out of your greens, uh, and then you can manually pack them. And then uh, you need a cooler that's capable of storing them because even if you're going to go just overnight, they really should be coming down to temperature. So uh, ideally you'll have a cooler that can come down to close to the freezing mark. So the secret in salad greens, and I would say this is true for any direct seeded crop. The secret uh, to, to um, making it a viable business or a viable farm is having a perfect crop. With transplanting, you can have some forgiveness. So if you're doing uh, kale or, or cabbage or, or tomatoes, uh, you have some forgiveness because you can work with a plastic mulch um, or you can work with other forms of weed suppression. And you, you're starting with a plant in that goes into the prepped bed that's got a significant advantage because it's coming out of your, your, uh, your soil blocks. And um, it's physically bigger than its comp competitors. So that's not the case when you're doing direct seeding. When you're doing direct seeding, perfect prep, perfect crop is going to give you less disease. It'll give you less uh, insect uh, problems and pests. It'll give you a higher yield. It'll make it easier to harvest. It'll actually taste better and it'll have less labor. So the, I would say this is the most crucial thing to focus on is how can I grow the best crop? And the best crop is uh, found, whoopsie, in the growing stage. So um, the growing stage I've broken out into these several steps. There's bed preparation and weed germination. Weed germination for a direct seeded crop is really important. You wanna make sure that every weed in the soil profile that's going to germinate has its best chance at germinating so it doesn't come up again later in your crop. After the weed germination, you've gotta get a very effective kill step. 
you need to terminate those weeds and you need to do it well in all areas of the soil. That's also a challenge. Then you've got your seeding of your crop, your salad greens, uh, and then you've got the germination phase after the seeding. And that is also critical. The, the, the weed germ and the seed germ are the same stage. The difference is whose seed are you trying to germinate? The one that's there in the soil that's natural there or the one that you put in? But you want to take the same care in both stages. Then you've got your watering of your actual commercial crop and the harvest. So with bed prep, um, I, I like to have a slightly raised bed just because when you're coming along and you're harvesting, uh, it's nice not to have your harvester uh, run into little bits of soil that might have fallen off of a tractor or out the side of a rototiller. And, and, and get uh, when, when you're trying to get low to the crop, uh, not get any of that in the harvester. So if you have a slightly raised bed, then anything that might have come off of a wheel tends to be a little bit lower than your blades. Um, when you're preparing a bed as well, you, you don't want to uh, go into a bed that was just um, terminated. So, so by terminated, I mean uh, where there was not another large crop. Like let's say you had a buckwheat cover crop, for example, and the plants were two feet tall. You don't want to turn that in and then promptly try to grow uh, salad greens out of that. All that crop residue is going to bring you nothing but trouble in, in many different ways. So ideally, you don't want a bunch of crop residue uh, in your bed unless it's small, unless it's largely broken down. So high organic matter is great as long as it's basically in compost form and is free-flowing, not chunky, and isn't going to clog your cedar when your cedar comes along because that makes complications. You like to have a nice smooth flat surface on your bed and uh, your bed should be firm enough. If your bed is too light and fluffy, it should have a little bit of compaction to it. So if it's too light and fluffy, if you only go over with a rototiller, for example, and the rototiller doesn't have the gate closed or, or maybe uh, a roller falling, following behind it and there's no extra firming, when it comes time to uh, put your seed in, you'll come along with your seeder and whether it's a manual seeder or a, or a three-point seeder, it's, it, it, it's, we, um, if this bed is too fluffy, the weight of the cedar will just push the soil in waves ahead of you. And now you'll get variable height of the bed surface and you can get variable seed coverage and so on. So you want your bed to have a little bit of firming uh, so that it can resist the roller travel. And when your bed is prepped, you, you wanna water you want to water it thoroughly. You want to fill the tank. And what I mean by that is when it comes to, um, when it comes to a philosophy I've maintained about um, water in the soil, I treat it like a reservoir. You, you want to build it up to the point where the, the general reservoir is full. If you don't want to maintain water in the top two inches, and you don't want to have water that's only a foot down. You sort of want to have your soil at least. I just have a caveat here. I've never worked in clay. I've, I work in a light sandy soil uh, here. And so uh, water retention is a real problem for us. So when, when it, my experience though suggests that when I dig down uh, with a shovel as far as I can go, if I find moisture, no obvious dry bands of soil, all the way through the soil profile down to the, you know, the one foot or the two foot mark, if I find moisture along that path, uh, things are going to go well. If, however, at some point there's a long dry spell and, and you know, the top six inches, the whole uh, topsoil portion dried out, uh, it's very difficult. It, it takes quite a bit of water to fill that whole tank back up. And just a light watering, even a, even a moderate watering, might only add water to the top two to three inches. And if you dig down, you might find a dry band at the four to five inch mark. The, you got to eliminate the bands. So when you're irrigating, you got to have the water from the top 
meet the water that might be in the soil and you close the back, uh, it's close the gap, no Oreos. You got to fill that tank right up and then it'll do a number of things for your bed. Your bed will be a little bit stiffer uh, so that it, it is able to um, resist roller movement, but also that tank will be full. And because we have such a quick crop, you, you actually don't want to add that water later. After you've put seeds in or after you've totally prepped the bed um, and you're ready to germinate your weed seeds, if you do a super heavy watering, it's going to destroy the soil structure enough that you could start getting uh, fungal issues or you could cl close some of the porosity of the soil. So before you do your final bread prepping, you actually want to get some moisture in the, in the soil. Fill up the tank, do your final bed prepping at the appropriate time not the day after you water, by the way, you give it a couple of days to, to set and to disperse through the soil profile. But you fill up the tank, you keep some moisture in the soil, then you prepare your bread, and then you give it a, um, a weed germination watering. Have I lost anybody so far, by the way? Is there any questions? Yeah, there's one right there. Are these beds indoor or outdoor? And also, how are you irrigating? Are you doing drip or overhead sprinklers? So, um, good questions. Uh, indoor or outdoor is fine. I've grown, I've done this both ways in raised tunnels uh, and just use a, a small garden rototiller. And then we've also done it outdoor, but this is all for in soil growing. Uh, I think you'll find that the uh, um, it it would this this is not microgreens where you can get extremely high value and it's worth growing in trays. Uh, although there are some commercial operations that have automated the growing in 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 uh, gutters, basically uh, transportable gutters uh, that that have automated uh, salad greens. But in general, salad greens are grown in soil. Now, whether undercover or not. Is, um, is about the same. A lot of the uh, arugula, for example, and other greens grown in Europe are grown under cover. Uh, it actually helps with the bird traffic quite a bit, and it helps reduce some of the, um, the pathogen, uh, the bacteria that might come in that's of a human food safety concern. It can reduce some of that because uh, of the lack of bird travel. Irrigation, I, I, use, uh, I tend to use sprinklers um, I've been testing with, um, with drip and just because of our soil type, um, it, uh, our, the soil type here does not like the, it does not support sufficient lateral movement from the drippers to fully wet the bed surface. Cause that's the ticket you need to, uh, without putting in a lot of water, you need to be able to see a lot of lateral movement in order to fully wet that bed surface. You can't have dry spots. That's, that's really important because once you have dry spots, you'll get uneven germination. And because we're harvesting in two to three to four weeks, you cannot have uneven germination. A couple of days difference at the end of your growing cycle means you might just pass over that crop and not actually cut it. So you'll have low spots and high spots and those low spots, you gotta cut the high ones, otherwise it's getting too big and the low ones just get missed. So it's really, really important to have super even watering for that germination. And if you can do it with drip, do it. Uh, if you can't do it with drip, sprinklers uh, is the only way I've found success, but that's just in my soil. Yeah, there's another question there. So if you no-till the weed into the soil, it won't grow back. Um, yeah, so that's not that's that's sort of true. So if you if you have a bunch of weeds in an area, um, one of the best ways to to get rid of them actually would be to cover them with plastic or other tarp. Especially if you're not doing a huge area, you're probably going to see some other gardening classes and so on. One of the absolute most effective ways to prepare soil for new seeding is is tarp. Tarp it over the winter. Uh, and, and you'll be surprised by how much dies off and you can get in there. If you need to get in there quicker, yeah, running over with a rototiller, 
chopping up the weeds that are there. Ideally, you mow it first, as short as you possibly can, and then you can uh, rototill and, and incorporate those weeds. But remember, uh, you just killed the weeds that were living. And um, there's a lot of weed seed in my soil uh, up here in Canada. Maybe it's different. I've had a friend come uh, from Australia and say, wow, you know, the closer you get to the equator, the, the slower things grow and the further you get, the more intense the summers become. Up here where we are, uh, the weeds are really intense. They grow fast and there's a lot of them. And uh, it's the same with the insects. We have grasshopper plagues up here that are really intense. And uh, my friend from Australia has never seen the weed pressure and the, uh, the pest pressure that we have here. So remember, you've still got uh, weed seeds in your soil. And so even after you rototill and terminate the standing weeds, uh, once you put water on that, you're going to have some weeds come up. So it's only going to terminate the, the standing weeds when you rototill. Yeah, that's that's great. If you if you can do that, if you're gonna, that'll generally, uh, you know, the area that you're able to pull uh, weeds out of is is not going to be by the acre. It's going to be by the square foot. So, if you're planning to uh, if you're planning to go into the, something commercially, uh, or or try to do a, a bit of a sale off of, you're likely going to need to find a machine uh, or some other way to help you because it's a it's a lot of work pulling weeds by hand. But that's an effective method for a, for a small home, home garden uh, area, especially raised beds type of thing. So this, uh, the next stage, let's say you have a prepared bed. And that's, I'm going to assume that that prepared bed has been uh, incorporated, old residue, and so on. Um, and the bed is slightly raised. doesn't have to be raised more than you know, an inch and a half, two inches. Uh, and as a matter of fact, if you have a tractor-mounted rototiller, all you need to do is a rototill and then just drive, uh, let your tire tracks uh, press down the soil where, around your bed. And, and just if you just run your rototiller up there and then pick the rototiller up and turn around and drive back with the rototiller lifted, your tire tracks compact uh, the sides and boom, you've pretty well got a raised bed. Otherwise, you can, if you want to get into the more commercial side of things, you know, bed formers and bed shapers uh, are the way to go, uh, dragging behind your, your tractor. Um, it's really important during this phase, once you've got a raised bed, is to treat those weeds, the weeds that are in your soil, like money. Treat them like gold. You want every one of those ones to, to germinate. And uh, as I said before, you want to fill up the tank. Uh, of the soil mo moisture, whoopsie. Uh, you wanna fill up the tank, uh, soil moisture, uh, ideally during or just before the final, uh, just before the final bed forming stage. Uh, and then you give yourself a, a watering. Now, we, seed germination is the same across all seeds. There's a period of water uptake and uh, they just they just sit and absorb water. So whether you do it in a paper towel or whether you're doing it out in the forest or in your garden, um, and or whether you're trying to you know sprout uh, sunflower seeds at home for consumption over the winter, there's a period of water uptake. The faster you can get the water into that seed, the better your crop health will be. So you don't want to, a long slow. Uh, water imbibation. That's what imbibation is, by the way. It's the uptake of water by the seed. You don't want a long imbibing or imbibation period. You want it in there fast. I like my seeds to have absorbed sufficient water to start germinating. I like them to have imbibed within 24 hours. If they haven't imbibed sufficient water in 24 hours and I'm going to need a second watering or a second day and a third day, my disease pressure goes way up and my, my, um, my pythium. So that's my late stage, uh, my post-emergence uh, death 
of the crop, my pythium goes way up. So what I like to do is I like to get keep the soil wet for uh, basically 12, 12 hours, quite moist. Um, and after 24 hours, I'm letting it start to dry out. Now in my soil, I do that with a, with a four to six hour watering. Basically, I do it with an inch. If, if you're from an agricultural background, you'll get it. I do an inch of water. So if you have a garden sprinkler uh, and it's a typical, you know, seven, uh, well, let's see, seven sixty-fourths up to an 11 sixty-fourths uh, nozzle, you are going to be looking at something similar, somewhere between two hours on the larger nozzle size up to four hours of watering uh, to get that first nice uh, watering and, and it saturates the top part of your soil. Hopefully the lower profile of your soil already had in reasonable moisture and it saturates that top part of the soil such that that little seed is really surrounded by water. He's, he's, it's it's, it's um, soaking in a little warm hot tub, hopefully, of, of moisture. And it's gonna absorb that water. Once it reaches its critical point, it's gonna to start to sprout. And once it starts to sprout, you really wanna stop adding surface water. Adding surface water later tends to uh, cause algal growth. Uh, and again, it causes later fungal pressures. And once your algae, by the way, if you water, let's say for the first three, four, five days, if you keep watering until the plant comes out, Usually what I found, what I found in the past is that I'll see this green sheen over the surface of the soil and that's algae. Once the algae has come and, and grown, I can't get any oxygen in the soil. Basically I'll lose 80, 90% of the crop and it's just not harvestable. So it's really important to get that water in fast and then let it breathe. That, that those little plants, um, seeds, uh, they do, natural respiration. Seeds use oxygen and they need to get their oxygen from the soil around them. So you got to let that water soak into the seed and then be gone, uh, disappear uh, in, a, in a direct contact in a saturated form so that they can take on their oxygen and, uh, and get growing. So um, once your weeds are up, you want to terminate them and you want to terminate them before they get uh, this is, this is a, a key point. You gotta terminate them anywhere from the, the milk thread stage. So that's the stage where you'll run your fingers through the soil and there's nothing on the surface, but you run your fingers through the soil and you'll see little white worm-like uh, roots where the weeds are just germinating. For, you want, that would be the earliest you would want to do any termination activity. Um, the latest you would want to do termination activity is when a weed is big enough that the, if, you, if you pull a weed out of the ground and you look at the, the roots themselves, if those roots are, are starting to develop root hairs, so not just the, the slender, smooth taproot, but it's starting to develop root hairs, it's going to be a difficult to terminate type of plant. So you want to, you want to terminate them before they get to that stage. And that stage is visible from the top. You can dig out and you can you know, pull it out and have a look at it, or you can look at it from the top. And uh, when, it, when a plant first emerges, it sends out these two little, um, usually um, in dicots, I think. Yeah, dicots. So um, it sends out these two little leaves, they're called cotyledons. Those are not true leaves. They're just the, the germination stage leaves. And then out of the center, uh, the crown, there will emerge a couple of other leaves that will become your first two leaves. So leaf one and two, they're your germination stage, cotyledon stage. Leaf three and four are the ones where the plant is really kicking into high gear. You really want to terminate before the true leaf emerges. Otherwise, uh, they're pretty hard to kill. So how can you terminate your weed crop? You've just spent all this preparation and you've germinated a nice, beautiful crop of weeds. And I'll tell you, up where I am, uh, if I treat my soil, I have so many weeds in the soil here, the seed bank is as good or better than what I'm adding uh, by my seeder. If I treat it right, I could harvest a perfect, tight, closed crop of weeds uh, 
and sell it as a wild mix. I haven't done it yet, but I've thought about it because most of those plants are edible, except one, hairy vetch. I do have hairy vetch here and hairy vetch uh, has a high toxicity, so I won't do that. But it is, uh, that's how bad my weed seeds are. And if you do your bed prep and your germination uh, of the weed seed stage correctly, you'll get a nice even stand of weeds. Now, how do you kill the weeds? Well, there's several options. We'll have a look at a couple of them here. So this is a mechanical uh, method of killing the weeds. What we're doing is we're taking a blade. Let's see, you can see, uh, can you see my mouse, by the way, my little mouse hand? Yes. So what we've done is we've taken an old grater blade, or this could be a plow blade or anything, any other straight blade, and we've just welded it onto uh, some, some posts here. And we're running that along just underneath the soil surface. It looks here like it's about two inches under the soil surface. It is not two inches under the soil surface. That's just because the way the soil is riding up. We're running that blade about three quarters of an inch to a maximum one inch below the soil surface. And as it comes through the soil, you can see how the soil lifts up over top of the blade. And it's just kind of disturbing everything. So it's actually cutting some of the plants. And if you look really closely, let's see if I can zoom in here. Um, I don't think I can, I'm sorry. Um, if you were to look really close, you can see there's a lot of little plants here. They're, they're all over and they're just, they've just emerged out of the soil. Their, their leaves are about the size of one of the tips of my uh, index fingernails. They're, they're, they're not even the size of my thumbnail yet. They're just a fingernail size for those cotyledons. Now in my, in my weeds, I'm comfortable terminating at this stage. This is usually about day 10 for me, day 10 after watering. So um, I'm not familiar with all the weeds you folks are going to be facing, but I find that there are some weeds that germinate on day five to day seven, and they'll, you can start seeing them come out of the ground. But there's other weeds that will germinate a little bit more slowly. As a matter of fact, there's some weeds that germinate later than day, day 12 to 14, uh, particularly uh, morning glory or, uh, or field um, bindweed, it's called. Uh, the one that I have here is a field bindweed, not an actual morning glory. And uh, that one takes a little bit longer. It also comes from much deeper in the soil profile. So if I come along and terminate these nice little weeds at this size, um, I find I have to come along later to, to terminate my field bindweed. This will terminate everything except the field bindweed who's still a little bit lower down. I didn't manage to cut them off yet and he'll come up through everything else later and I'll have to come back with a second pass later and get him. So what you'll see in this, in this um, is, is this roller here. This roller is important in this system because the roller controls the depth of the blade. You cannot have the blade going down to two inches deep. When it does, it grabs new seeds and brings them up. You need the blade to be very carefully depth controlled. So uh, that is done with this, this roller here and the roller with its um, little uh, rebar openings there, um, that also helps to just break up these little crusty bits that, uh, that come over the blade. And then on the back side here, I, I've welded on some fingers. Uh, these fingers were from a, a wheel, uh, a hay, um, a hay reel uh, for a baler. It's the intake reel on a baler. And I just cut some bars off and put them over here. It's, I'm a bit mixed on whether or not um, they do much. Often they're, they're difficult to keep at an even depth in the soil. So ideally this implement would have a second wheel on it so that it could be um, not varying depth at the back of it. Um, but also 
I just find that these uh, these little things, they often, if there is much soil residue, you can see how the residue is caught on the fingers and so on. So this is not my favorite method, but it is an incredibly effective one because it keeps my bed surface nice and flat. It cuts at a controllable depth and it does a, it does a good job at cutting those little weeds. I'll just let you watch it again. And then uh, I'll take questions on this implement, then I'll move to another implement. Okay, were there any questions on this weed killer? All right, I'll, I wanna point out one thing before I go. Uh, you'll notice this, uh, I, I call it my, uh, my undercutter or my blade weeder. It is not uh, dealing with blade, uh, weeds that are just underneath the blade on the shoulders of the bed. Remember your, your seeds, the weeds that are gonna germinate are those ones that are generally within two inches of the sun. So, so four inches down, other than my field bindweed, nothing, nothing will emerge from that level in the soil. Although there's tons and tons and tons of seed down there. Most of my seeds are coming from about three quarters of an inch to one inch. There are a few weeds that will come from about an inch and a half down in the soil, but most of them are just under the soil surface. So on the shoulders of the beds here, there's lots of little weeds that have come up and this blade weeder doesn't get them. That is the bane and probably the biggest Achilles heel of this, uh, this type of weed termination. So in order to address that, uh, what I did here is uh, I took, for some of you might recognize this as a very old mulched layer. This is a plastic mulch laying implement. And what it does is it cuts a little groove in this soil and it has these wee wheels that will follow. Normally this would be a black plastic mulch getting laid out uh, here. And these wheels stretch the plastic and they, there's, you, you can't see it right now, but there's another uh, disc behind this wheel. And that disc usually is putting uh, soil onto the plastic to help hold the plastic down. What I did is I ran it without the plastic and I turned those rubber wheels such that they were rubbing on the shoulders of the bed. And I wanted to see if these wheels would rub off the shoulders clean. And I have to say, they did a remarkable job. So here with this implement, you will also see um, that there are some, let's see if I can find it here. There are some blades that I have cleaning up the tire tracks. There we go. There's a little blade down here that's, that's cleaning up the tire tracks because I find in, in salad greens, anywhere where you allow weeds to grow will haunt you later. You want all weeds to be managed and kept at a, at a you know, no, no bigger than a couple of inches high, including your crop. Uh, no, I would say four inches is the maximum. Once a weed is getting to four inches, you need to kill that thing. Otherwise, it'll come and haunt you later because these weeds will get stuck in your next implement, your next pass, and, and they, just, they just become a headache. So it's really important to clean in between your beds as well as on the shoulders of the beds as well as the surface of the beds and the tire tracks too. So this does have a um, 
This does have a tire track cleaner. And uh, you can see the tire here is just rubbing on the edge of the bed. It does a decent job. It's not 100%. It is also important with this system to, to, to um, have the blade come after. So in this system, I come along with this implement, I clean up the shoulders of the bed, and then I come along and I clean up the top. The reason I do that is because when you clean up the top, there's always some soil that will fall off to the side. And that soil on the side will now bury some of those plants that I was a, that I need to rub off. And there's just too much soil there and I can't, I can't rub them off easily. So it's best to rub off the sides first and then you can let a little bit of extra soil fall down there. Does anybody have a question on this implement? I'll just let Here you watch it. I'm sorry? We have one question on the back. Um, yep. I know that your videos aren't working very well for us, but I think there's grains. Um, looks like you're working pretty dry soil, but the grain, uh, you're, you're, you're going to have, you're, you're set back several days until it dries out. So then your weeds are going to be bigger. It's, it's a real challenge. Because the termination, thank you for pointing that out. The termination method for this is all about letting the sun kill the weeds. You separate it from the soil or you sever that stem. Uh, if you don't, if you're about to have rain, many of these weeds can reestablish. That's why flame weeding is my favorite because it's now no longer subject to rain. Uh, this was another mechanical weeder. Um, I realize I'm, I'm running short of time now, so I want to respect your time. I'll see if I can get through it a little more quickly. It's another mechanical weeder. This is actually the bed former. So there are sides. Uh, this, this bed former is sort of cleaning up the sides of the bed. And then I've got the blade at the back to, uh, to do a little bit of weeding. This worked good too. Uh, and this cleaned up the sides of the beds at the same time. The challenge with this one is it's linked into the tractor, the three-point. Uh, stiffly. So if you have any variability of the tractor along the course of your bed, if you don't, uh, it's difficult to follow your bed perfectly. So sometimes one of the side guides will not clean up on one side of the bed. You'll, you'll tend to wander just a little bit and just a, a, an inch of wandering um, can cause you not to have good contact and good tear away of the blade. So my favorite <laughs> method is this. Can uh, Let me know if you can see this video. basically skipping frames it's going through but no sound and it's it's jumping oh, that's, it's too bad can you see the image there now yeah. can we see the images though okay so on this image you can see the, the the contact point of the flame and here's the weeds my nice good viable crop actually you'll see here this is the emergence of field bindweed this particular plant here and the rest of this is uh, is a wide uh, variety of coal uh, brassicas that, that exist in my soil naturally, you'll see right at the point of contact, the, 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 the weeds are just withered. You'll also see that on the shoulders of the bed, the weeds are withered. And because I've got a wide enough range of, of flame on this implement, it actually burns in the tire tracks too. So the flame, whether it's rainy or whether it's dry, cleans up my entire uh, bed and it does an excellent job of it. So it is by far my favorite method of weeding. Uh, just a side note, just in, I'll share this only as an image. I found it much more effective if I added a reflector uh, to the, to the um, flame such that uh, it was able to radiate more heat down towards the soil surface. So it's important if you're going to do that, that the reflector uh, not have direct contact with the soil because you need a bit of a chimney effect. The, the, the hot gases need to exhaust and you don't want them exhausting up towards your burner. You want them exhausting out the back. So it's important to make sure that they have a channel out of which to escape. But effectiveness certainly goes up if you, um, you reflect and radiate some of that heat back down 
onto the soil surface. Okay, I'm gonna move on to seeding. You've, you've prepped your bed, you've killed your crop, your weeds, now you're gonna seed. Seeding needs to uh, be about a half inch to five eighths inch deep. You need to have some free flowing soil for covering the seed. I'm not gonna comment on the asterisks there because of time. Um, in, in, in seeding uh, baby salad crops, you want a continuous line of seed. For spinach, basically you want one seed right after the next, just pop, pop, pop in that little seed. On my bed, I have a 36 inch bed and I do 20 lines of seed. So I'm about an inch and three quarters, if I remember right, between lines. And in each one of these lines of seed, you just wanna have it pretty well filled up with seed. Uh, not such that the seeds are piled on top of each other, but they're pretty close to continuous. The farthest gap I like to see on my seed would be about uh, three eighths of an inch at the germination stage. Uh, one and a half to two and a half inches between lines, two and a half inches if you cedar can't go any tighter or if you have a higher humidity uh, 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 region. And um, you also don't want to, as we talked about before, you don't want to plant on fresh residue. There's a bunch of reasons for that. So make sure you're working with a bed that has only dry organics, you know, decomposed organics in it, not fresh residue. Uh, for starters, the Johnny Six Row Cedar is an excellent way to start. Um, this is how I started. You can seed, you know, you can easily seed uh, a, a thousand uh, bed feet in a day. I just took my 36 inch wide bed and I went up back and forth uh, three times. I don't recommend that, by the way, if you're going to start doing this, uh, it's probably better to have a, a, a 24 uh, inch, maybe 26 inch wide bed where you're just doing two lines of the six row cedar because of the pain it comes with harvesting. Uh, it's, you don't want to bend and stretch uh, with your using the, the quick cut harvester from farmer's friend. You don't want to bend and have to reach forward. It's just too difficult on your back. You'd rather have that uh, harvester right next to your, to right next to you for, for weight management. So if you do start and use the Johnny six row cedar, um, it works great, but um, uh try to stick to only two, uh, two lines or, or two passes of this cedar uh, per bed. Uh, you can see in this picture here uh, where I've, I've got three different lines uh, of that six row cedar. You can sort of see the distinctive differences and I, that's the way it, it, it worked for me initially. Uh, I now use a Sutton Junior uh, planter that comes behind the, the three point uh, uh, on the tractor and that works really well. Seed germination for your crop seed, it is just like your weed seed. You treat them both very carefully. Make sure the tank is full uh, already, preferably prior to your bed prep stage. You want that 24 hour imbibation period. You want 24 hours where the soil, the seed is just surrounded by moisture and feeling like you can soak it in. And at the end of 24 hours, it should have absorbed in sufficient water to, to do all of its growing for the next week. Then you let the surface dry out and you water it again. And this is key, you water it again, unless it's an extreme environment. And I, I very, you know, for several, probably up to four weeks a year, I might need to water it again before the true leaf stage. That's because this is desert where I live. I mean, it's, it's, it's 105, 110 degrees. And I mean, spinach is not meant to grow in this kind of weather. And it, it, uh, it has a bit of a tough time. So I give it a little bit of help, but this is a very extreme uh, environment. And so I would suggest for most of you, water it at germination stage. You'd really don't need to water it again until it's at the true leaf stage. Just a general principle for watering, when you're working with small plants, follow the roots. The roots will tell you how deep your soil moisture needs to be. And uh, in general, you wanna be, maintain your moisture one to two inches below the surface. But as that, little, as that little root starts coming out of the seed and it starts going down, by the time you have uh, most of your plants, lettuce and spinach and arugula, by the time they've emerged out of the soil and you've just seen their green plants, they've got a one inch tap root on them. So you don't need a wet surface. Like you need the water an inch down. And that happens within five days on arugula. So 
let the soil, let the roots tell you uh, where to keep your moisture and uh, keep your soil surface dry. That helps to reduce fungal pressure. When it comes to harvest, you want to cut above the crown. That uh, that helps with your cut and come again. If you're going to do uh, if you're going to do a second cut, um, keep your blades sharp. That's it's really uh, you can end up pushing over a lot of crop if your blade is not quite sharp enough, and that's just a waste of time. Just an FYI on the Johnny's Quick Cut Harvester, you can get 100 to 200 pounds a day uh, harvested. So if you're at $10 a pound, that's 1,000 to $2,000 in sales a day. If you're doing direct, you can double it. So 100 to 200 pounds a day is easily possible with a cut, Quick Cut Harvester. I found that if I had a helper moving bins for me, uh, I could do 200 pounds an hour with the Quick Cut Harvester. Now you'll burn through a Quick Cut Harvester in one to two seasons at that rate, and you need spare parts like crazy. And uh, there are a couple of challenges with the design that, um, that there's some workarounds with that will help you, particularly when you're harvesting a, a, a crop that might have gotten rained on. The quick cut harvester belt will slip and you can, um, you can just set up a little, you know, you could put up a, a piece of plastic or cardboard or, or whatever uh, on the harvester because most of the water that comes onto the belts is flung by those little, uh, those little macrame tendrils. You can block that off uh, fairly easily. And that's probably the most significant uh, modification you would need to do uh, during, to your harvester. Um, you want, if you're going to do cut and come again or second cut, you want to rake off or sweep off all the little bits that get left behind because those will get left on the surface of the, the crop that's there and they'll grow up and you'll get little bits of brown leaf uh, in your next crop. And it's very, it's very unattractive. And it's very difficult to deal with later. So you deal with it immediately after harvest. I like to do it within that day. Certainly not even waiting till next day, those leaves have dried out and they're just difficult to move. If you can, you do it within a couple of hours of harvest. You sweep it off or rake it off. So this was uh, uh, the harvester, you know, that's the way we did it with bins. And we just walked those bins back and forth to the truck and, and loaded them up. And I, I found in a bin like this, this is a 72 uh, liter bin um, and uh, it'll harvest uh, about 15 and up to 20 pounds of product in a bin. And so you're going to get 200 pounds of product. Uh, you're you're going to be looking at 25 bins. So it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I, I now have a, a, an Ortomec harvester that uh, is pulled behind the tractor. Uh, and this, uh, this unit is, is available. They come out of Italy. It's probably oh, close to $20,000 uh, $20, to, to get uh, that though. Uh, after you harvest, you wanna wash. And uh, this is the simplest way to view washing. Now folks, I think it's five o'clock. I've, I've uh, not covered all of my subject matter in the right amount of time. What do we do? Okay, I'll try to cover the washing quickly. Um, you, uh, you really want three tubs. You're gonna need a chemical. This chemical, write it down, is parasitic acid. It's a parasitic acid and hydrogen peroxide combination. These chemicals are the absolute best for uh, reducing fungal pressure on your harvested crop. So the, your, your crop is going to spoil generally and go mushy because of fungus. So if you use, this is a Chinook 110 or Sanitate 5.0. These are versions, uh, commercial, commercially available versions of this combination of sanitizer. It works fantastically. You do have to rinse it off. Uh, parasitic acid is, is similar to acetic acid. That's what I first started. Acetic acid is just vinegar. Parasitic acid is, could be considered as a super vinegar. It's a stronger acid. And hydrogen peroxide, as you well know, is a, is a volatile oxidant and, uh, and does quite well at sanitizing bacteria and other organisms. This acid will degrade your leaves your lettuce and everything else that you do. So you need to rinse it off. It's very, very important to rinse it off. Otherwise you'll end up with mush in about a week and, and it, it's really mushy. It looks like steamed greens and it's not appealing to your customers. So the wash process is a three-stage process. You need to do an initial shock. You take it out of that bin, you dump your bin into the first tank and you want about 70 to 80 PPM of parasitic acid. 
You can buy these little test kits and you can use them either with, with strips or you can use a titration kit, uh, but, but you can find a way to validate your, your concentration. You, you need to validate the concentration of your water on an ongoing basis throughout your production day. You, you need a shock stage that's going to kill your, your organisms that are on there. Whatever is on there, whether it be a pathogen or whether it be a harmless uh, organism, most of almost all of your organisms will be harmless, but they actually need to be terminated. Uh, they need to they need to be killed, so, and that requires a sit time. I've found consistently that if we don't do a sixty second sit time in the shock tank, uh, then uh, organisms will transfer over into the next tank, and we just dump these things into a tank and we dip them. Uh, with our hands. Uh, some of the, you've seen bubblers uh, or you can see bubblers online that will help to do that. Uh, we've found it just faster, frankly, to, to just push it down with our hands as long as you can do it gently. Let it sit in there for a minute. Let it uh, uh, the, the acid do its thing. And then we take it and we, we, we lift it out into the next tank. And it's a very manual process. The next tank is about 20 ppm parasitic acid. And, um, and that sort of is where we will wash and you know pull out any um, pull out any undesirable leaves that might be bruised, or if we find an insect in there, that's where we sort of spread the product out and, and just have a look at it. And then we pull it out and we rinse it off. And then we pack this. Uh, oh, then we spin it. Now, where's, uh, where's my spinner here? Oh dear, I didn't get that in. Uh, the spinner, I just used an old washing, old washing machine. That's the simplest thing. You can modify, you can find videos online about how to modify a washing machine and an old plastic uh, garbage bin, uh, usually you'll use a new one, preferably, uh, to, to spin the water off of your rinsed salad greens. And then you can go and manually pack that into whatever package uh, you have. And then uh, once it's packaged, you really need to go into a cooler. I like your cooler to be able to be capable of that zero degree temperature or the freezing. Just a quick follow-up point. Uh, if you're gonna, food safety is really important on these. You guys have seen a lot of recalls on uh, products like lettuces over the years, uh, particularly in the last two to three years coming out of Southern California. It's been a lot of E. coli contamination. So there is enhanced focus on, uh, on food safety. You, you would do well to come up with a GAP plan. GAP is a, an acronym that stands for Good Agricultural Practices. Um, if you, if you go to uh, Canada GAP uh, or uh, down there, what is it called? Uh, I've forgotten, but uh, if you just Google GAP program, uh, you'll be able to find some suggestions for uh, how to build your own. Many of them have forms that you can automatically fill in. Uh, that You can just fill in your own templates and it will just educate you in the process of how to have your own food safety program. I wanted to remind you that a weekly deep clean of all of your equipment is really important to reduce the load of your tanks uh, and of course your harvesters and everything. Harvesters need to be cleaned daily. But um, the last thing about food safety and you would learn it as you went through a gap training, uh, but uh, you need to just sort of document everything. There's a lot of documentation. Now I've went uh, well over and um, I would uh, ask if there's any more questions. Okay. Um, so on the washing, on the second uh, rinse, do you, do you still add some of the acidic acid the peroxide to get the 20 ppm? Yes. Yeah, so and what? Then, and then uh, after each kind of batch, you just dump everything out and then, and then fill it up and then we add the acid and pot of water and all that. What we do is we, we put the acid in at the beginning of the day and then we monitor throughout the day. And if it needs a little bit of a top up, we just add some more. Yes, in the so, back. So are you saying that you grow spinach in 110 degree heat? I do. So how do you germinate? Just I like I told you. I plant, here's a, here's a little secret for spinach in 110 degree heat. You, you put it into the ground, 
you, you, we keep it in the cooler so that it doesn't uh, go into thermal walk. So we keep the seed itself in the cooler. We pull the seed out. We put it in the ground in the late afternoon. And we immediately turn on the water so that the, the seed doesn't get hot. It does its imbibation overnight so that by the time you get to it the next morning, it's fully taken all of its water and the, the soil is still fairly cool. So it will, it will start germinating that next morning, believe it or not, and such that by the end of the next day, you can start seeing these guys emerge. So it's important for me to plant my spinach in the late afternoon and to let it take its water on overnight. All right, that looks like it's it. I mean, would you? Okay, just just the clarification. So you're saying you would overhead water the newly seeded spinach for three or four hours? Is that correct? Yeah, and in in uh, in the middle of summer when it's really hot, I'll give it six hours, but I won't give it twelve. Father in heaven, uh, thank you again for a chance to learn. Please uh, open our minds to uh, continue learning so we can do your service. Amen. Thanks, everyone. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.